Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Dan Bonner on college basketball in 60 minutes. Joe Person on the Panthers and the NFL playoffs in 90 minutes. More of your calls now. NC State and other college basketball. Louisville is at Duke on Saturday, among other big games this weekend. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Zion Williamson and Connor McGregor are included in our questions of the day, separately, of course. Be a heck of an MMA bout, eh? Different weight classes, though. Carolina Hurricanes, Justin Fuente flirted with Baylor and even interviewed with the Bears, formerly of Matt Rule, of course. Now your Carolina Panthers head coach, but F Coach Fuente did tweet earlier today he is staying with the Virginia Tech Hokies. That allows that school to dodge the embarrassment of losing in back-to-back -back years your men's basketball coach lured away by another school, Texas A&M in the case of Buzz Williams of the basketball Hokies. And then Justin Fuente, one year later, he did not go to Baylor again, but he and his wife were there interviewing with the Bears yesterday. Some Virginia Tech fans were upset by that. I think there's a way to understand what was happening there as we come back as well to your answers to our other questions of the day in the NFL playoffs. Which road underdog has the best chance of winning this weekend and why? I like the Titans' chances of scaring or beating the Chiefs better than I like the Packers' chances of going to San Francisco and beating the 49ers. It's partly because I watched the Niners destroy the Packers 37-8 to about a month and a half ago. But it's partly because as much as I would prefer Aaron Rodgers over Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, duh, advantage Packers, I think almost every other arrow goes advantage 49ers. I expect to see San Francisco in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Titans will beat the Chiefs. I wish I was that smart. We'd all be doing this show from somewhere in the Caribbean if I were. But of the two road dogs, both underdogs by about a touchdown in the eyes of Las Vegas, I think the Titans, after back-to-back must-win games against Houston and New England and Baltimore, three really good opponents, and they shocked all three, especially the last two, it's hard to say that Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill have no chance against a sometimes vulnerable Kansas City defense. Patrick Mahomes may need another 40 or 50 burger for the Chiefs for the Kansas City folks to advance to the Super Bowl. Kevin in Burlington has an answer to just kind of a just-for-fun question of the day. I was thinking about Virginia Tech possibly losing their two highest-profile sports, the way you rarely see the big schools in the big conferences lose coaches. Everybody put your wheels to work here. Get those mental gears turning. I just said the big four schools here in North Carolina. You could apply it to any major athletic program in one of the biggest conferences. 90% of the time, when there is a coaching change, if you're at a Power 5 conference and you spend money the way athletic departments do that care about sports, 90% of the time, when there's a coaching change, you can put it into one of three categories. It was a firing slash dismissal, it was a resignation, or it was a retirement. At Duke University, in the two biggest sports, you got to go back to the 1980s to find the last time a coach in one of the two highest profile sports left in a way that was not, you know, death, retirement, resignation, or dismissal. You're not often lured away, right? Once Coach K started winning at Duke, nobody's going to lure him away from the Blue Devils. I mean, there was that time or two where he talked to NBA franchises. Nobody's going to lure him away from Duke the way Duke lured him away from Army back when people couldn't spell or pronounce his name, right? When Roy Williams got rolling at his alma mater, nowadays a three-time national champion, nobody's going to lure him away from the Tar Heels. Jim Beheim put Syracuse basketball on the map. He played for the Orange. He has been 
been part of that fabric for literally a half century from player to assistant coach to head coach. Like, he is Syracuse basketball. He won it all with Carmelo Anthony, bringing the Orange where they had never been, Division I national basketball champions, right? Nobody's going to lure him away. At the bigger conferences and the bigger schools, you almost never allow your coaches in the highest profile sports to be lured away. Virginia Tech dodged that bullet. I know some Hokies football fans that would not have minded if Justin Fuente left for Baylor because the Hokies weren't as good the last two years as they were in Coach Fuente's first two years. The Hokies lured him from Memphis. That's how college sports works, right? Scott Satterfield loves App State, but he didn't stay there forever. He left for Louisville, a Power 5 program in a Power 5 league. You got to go back to the 80s at Duke. You got to go back to the 90s at Carolina. And you got to go back about a decade and a half at either Wake or State to find the last time a head coach in football or men's basketball ended his tenure in a way that was not death, dismissal, resignation, or retirement. That's how rare it is. Kevin in Burlington remembers one of the rare examples. I wonder if he remembers the details that surrounded it. Because, folks, whenever you're wondering why your coach listens or interviews, if you're a Virginia Tech fan and you understand the fabric of that relationship or Buzz Williams' relationship with Virginia Tech, you should not have been surprised that Buzz listened and left for Texas A&M or that Jimbo Fisher, that's, this is even more rare. It is incredibly rare that you win a national title at a school and then they let you get lured away somewhere else. That's, think of all the national championship coaches that you can think of, right? There might be the occasionally weird Urban Meyer wanted all at Florida, but then there was the weird medical situation and the resignation, and then Ohio State scooped him up. That's a little different. But Jimbo Fisher was flat-out hired away from Florida State after leading the Seminoles to the national title back in 2013. Texas A&M, remember, backed up the Brinks truck. $75 million guaranteed, the most guaranteed money in the history of college athletics. And, oh, by the way, if you knew the dynamic behind the curtain, you knew Jimbo was unhappy with some things at Florida State. You knew Jimbo had gone through an ugly divorce and wanted a fresh start somewhere else. When you see your coach, take an interview everybody takes a phone call almost everybody right yeah I'm curious you're gonna throw a lot of money at me you're gonna double my salary if you see your coach not only willing to listen but bordering on looking to leave there's always an explanation always and sometimes it's personal, like a divorce or a need like a fresh start. Sometimes it's professional. You don't get along with your AD or the university president. Sometimes it's budget-wise or whatever. There is always an explanation why your beloved head coach is willing to take an interview. Again, a phone call, no big deal maybe. You and your wife going to meet with Baylor officials, that's a big deal. And I promise you it's in part because Justin Fuente at times has felt disrespected and unappreciated by Virginia Tech's football fans, who got spoiled at times under Frank Beamer, who led them to national prominence. He felt like he inherited a tricky situation, and he felt like a lot of fans turned on him when, after two good years, he took the Hokies to 19 total wins over two years and a trip to the ACC title game. After his first two good years in Blacksburg, remember year three, he barely made a bowl, and they didn't like that. You know, they had, one, they had the longest bowl streak in America, and he almost – fell short of bowl eligibility, and then this year was better, 8-5, and five, last year 6-7. and seven. But if you feel unappreciated, you're going to be willing to listen, and you might even be willing to fly to meet with Baylor officials. Again, he's staying, 
but it is rare for Power 5 programs to lose coaches in ways that are not dismissals, death, retirement, or resignation. Kevin in Burlington has one of the rare recent examples from our backyard. Go ahead. All right, so actually I got three if you'll let me yeah. so go ahead and get them out. All right, so um, I know, you know, obviously there's Mac Brown. He left Carolina for Texas for obvious reasons. That is the most recent one. 1997, he saw Texas as a better road to a national championship in football, and he was right. That is the most recent football or men's basketball coach to be hired away from the University of North Carolina. So that's, what, 23 years ago. That's a long time. Yeah, but Mac is back. Right. Mac is back. And all right, and then you got, and I believe Spurrier left Duke to go to Florida. Bingo. Could be wrong there. Bingo. No, you are correct. Duke has not had a, well, of course, Duke hasn't had a coaching change in basketball since the early 1980s, so you got to put that off to the side. But, yeah, in football, they've fired a lot of guys and other resignations, et cetera. It was 1989. I was already covering sports as a young journalist, and Steve Spurrier took lowly Duke all the way to an ACC co-championship way back before they had a conference championship game. You could just tie in the standings. So pre-FSU joining the league, Duke was a co-ACC champion in the late 80s. And, of course, Steve Spurrier's own alma mater came calling. So just as Mac Brown had that, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to turn down, right? Mighty Texas, great tradition, great facilities, huge money and all that. Carolina leans toward basketball to say the least historically compared to football. So Mac had his personal reasons. Steve Spurrier had even more personal reasons. He didn't dislike Duke. He loved his time in Durham so much, he still cast that ballot in favor of the Blue Devils in the top 25 just as a token of appreciation for Duke being one of those that gave him a chance. But yeah, it was so that's what? 31 years ago is the most recent example of Duke losing a football or men's basketball coach, you know, this more rare way. Florida hired him away because Steve Spurrier, of course, not only attended Florida, but, you know, won the Heisman Trophy and was the starting quarterback for the Gators. And you got a third? This is just is pretty impressive, Kevin. Yeah, I got a third. Yeah, well, well the only basketball one. I couldn't come up with any state. But I remember Dave Odom leaving. I want to say it was South Carolina without cheating, but you're correct. I can't think of you're correct. And, it, and if do you remember the details of Dave Odom leaving Wake Forest? Again, the rare example, not a death, not a dismissal, not a resignation, not a retirement. There's a funny line from the movie Cocktail where Tom Cruise is a bartender. His love interest, spoiler alert, is Elizabeth Shue. Wonderful, wonderful role played by Elizabeth Shue. But I digress. In that movie, Tom Cruise has a line with an older woman that he was dating where he, he says something along the lines of, you know, she, she had said to him uh, that their relationship was ending badly. And Tom Cruise's response was, everything ends, ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. And isn't that true most of the time with head coaching changes? Death, dismissal, retirement, resignation. Like, I'm not a believer in everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. But Dave Odom did leave Wake Forest for another job. But do you remember the, what it felt like at the time? Because I think Dave Odom felt like he needed a new job because he was feeling some pressure at Wake Forest where they were growing tired of, you know, NIT bids and not enough trips to the NCAA tournament. It was almost like staying one step ahead of the angry mob. So Dave Odom, again, not, not retirement, not dismissal, not uh, resignation, but 
he was staying one step ahead of the angry mob. And actually, the NC State example does come from basketball. Herb Sendek was staying one step ahead of the angry mob. Herb Sendek is the most recent example to that question. What, and, it, and that was 14 years ago. Do you all remember that? Why, the national question was, why would a guy who just went to five straight NCAA tournaments at NC State, a school that had missed the NCAA tournament a lot, why would you get mad at the guy that just took you to five straight? Well, around here, we knew the dynamics, and there were examples of Herb Sendek at the end of those five straight NCAA tournament trips because he was there for a decade, and the Wolfpack fans got tired of him not taking them further. That where he's cursed by Wolfpack fans as he's jogging to the locker room at the ACC tournament, or his family was getting harassed at the grocery store and ugly, ug ugly incidents even for his kids at their schools because it had become so toxic. So technically, remember, he wasn't fired. Just like Dave Odom, he got out of town because he felt the angry mob growing. So it wasn't a dismissal. It wasn't a retirement. It wasn't a resignation. Herb jumped to Arizona State of the Pac-12 because he felt he needed to get out of town and away from that toxicity. Dave Odom was a version of that. He left for South Carolina of the SEC because his act had grown old in the eyes of enough Wake Forest people that he felt like he needed a fresh start as well. Steve Spurrier, Mac Brown, Dave Odom, and Herb Sendick. A lot of different details there, but it just shows you the rarity, right? We're going back, in one case, more than 30 years to find the most recent example of a school where the coaching change was not the more typical retirement, resignation, or dismissal. Virginia Tech, again, has dodged the double. Buzz Williams did leave last year the men's basketball program for Texas A&M. Justin Fuente just flirted heavily with Baylor before deciding to stay in Blacksburg. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Brian is in Goldsboro. Matthew is in Greenville. JR is in Apex. Rusty is in Goldsboro. Jim is in Durham. And you can join us on the other side. We're talking NFL playoffs. Connor McGregor. I have a Zion Williamson question of the day for you. He's finally about to make his NBA debut. It'll be next week. And did you know that the threshold to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame through the writer's vote, there are other avenues, but through the the annual writers vote you need 75 percent of the vote to get in now next tuesday legendary yankee shortstop Derek jeter is an absolute lock to be a part of the class of 2020 do you know where barry bonds and roger clemens are hovering right now compared to that 75 percent threshold that they need on the writers ballots that have already become public now, we don't know all the writers' ballots. That's why Tuesday is designed to be a surprise for at least some. Again, Jeter is in. Larry Walker's kind of on the edge. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens have a really interesting support level right now, according to the hundreds of writers who have made their ballots public. That update with more of your calls on the NFL, the NBA, some college football leftovers, the Wolfpack, among other college basketball items, you can be next at 1-800-849-2761 on The David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans are always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody in another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. In light of all the speculation that's been going on out there and people frankly just taking blind guesses as to when Zion's going to come back, 
if all goes well, assuming he is cleared by then, which he is not quite yet. Our anticipation is he'll play his first game on the 22nd at home against San Antonio. This process has been one that's been really, really good. We've learned a lot more than we've probably taught him, frankly. But he's he's getting to the point where we actually think he's as ready as he believes he is. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. The Wolfpack got a nice win on the hard court last night. The Hurricanes are back on the ice this evening at Columbus, one of the teams chasing them for a playoff spot. That was the voice of David Griffin, the New Orleans Pelicans general manager, that Zion Williamson guy. Remember, the former Duke star and the number one overall pick in the most recent NBA draft still has not made his NBA debut, as Griffin said there. And as we come back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. The Pelicans, and this makes me roll my eyes because TV schedules are sometimes made far enough in advance, yet you can't react quickly to the news of the day. The New Orleans Pelicans have a lot of national TV games this year. The New Orleans Pelicans are not at all a contender in the NBA. So you'd expect to see the Lakers and the Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Sixers and the Celtics and the Raptors and the other contenders, right? And they do have their share of national TV spotlights. The Pelicans have those spotlights scheduled in long ago. Because Zion was a phenomenon, and Zion was a YouTube sensation, and Zion was the National Player of the Year at Duke, and Zion had the shoe explosion, and Zion is a dunking machine even at 280-plus pounds, and Zion is beyond just a good basketball player. He's an eyeball grabber, right? He is a season ticket seller. And so the Pelicans were stuck in all these TV windows, and there's no Zion Williamson to enjoy. And now we're past the midpoint of the NBA season. The good news is that Zion will make that debut, as David Griffin said, next Wednesday against the Spurs. One of my questions of the day, and quick update on the NFL side, which road underdog has the best chance of winning this weekend in the NFL playoffs and why? It's basically split, almost 50-50. I say the Titans have a better chance of going to Kansas City and beating the Chiefs. I don't like the Packers. I like Aaron Rodgers a lot more than I like Jimmy Garoppolo, but everything else about that matchup says 49ers to me. So I'm down on the Packers' chances in San Fran. I think the Chiefs are better than the Titans, but I'm not telling you Tennessee has no shot after what I saw them do at New England and at Baltimore the last two weeks. You can chime in on that NFL question of the day if you like. The NBA question came with Zion in mind. You have now had one half of a regular season to evaluate every NBA rookie except Zion Williamson. You know what scouts and GMs say? If only I got to see so-and-so against highest-level competition, I wouldn't be wrong as often, right? Trying to get these guys right out of a European league or in the old days when the rules allowed it straight out of high school. Well, of course he was the best player on the court in a high school game. And you need a little bit more evaluation skill to put all that in perspective. Well, you right now have seen every other NBA rookie, not named Zion Williamson, against NBA competition with NBA caliber teammates. And you know what's funny to me is the question of the day, if you could repick right now with the benefit of seeing 40-plus games of action for every NBA rookie besides Zion, you know, and a few lesser-known injured guys, would you still take Zion number one overall the way the Pelicans did? You know what the bottom line answer is? Yeah. Yeah, I think I would. Now, are there injury risks for a 280-pounder coming off of back-to-back -back injury issues? Of course there are. But your alternatives are nice players like a P.J. Washington's debut for your Charlotte Hornets 
or a Darius Garland, the high pick point guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers, or Brandon Clark, solid debut with the Memphis Grizzlies. And if you work your way up toward the rookie of the year type candidates, R.J. Barrett of Duke has had a good rookie year for the New York Knicks but not the kind of year that would make me take a chance on him over Zion, even with the benefit of hindsight. Remember Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech played in the Final Four? He is having a good rookie year for the Minnesota Timberwolves, but not the kind of thing that if I was David Griffin and could repick would make me take him number one over Zion Williamson and whatever Zion has to offer starting next Wednesday. The very best rookies, true rookies, really boiled down to Ja Morant, of the Memphis Grizzlies, picked really, really high, and I think right now he would be the NBA Rookie of the Year. Really good player, picked really high. Memphis is happy to have him. Remember, they turned to the page on Mike Conley. John Morant's going to be the NBA Rookie of the Year, and if you needed a point guard, maybe you would change your mind and say, well, Zion Meyer may not turn out great, but Ja, I already know, is turning out well. Maybe you would switch if you needed a point guard to John Morant. guy named Kendrick Nunn I think is technically a rookie with the Miami Heat because he played in the G League last year. Very good rookie year with the Heat. Undrafted, way overachiever. But the bottom line is, if you look at Zion Williamson having played not at all through 40-plus games because of his knee surgery, there's only one alternative that would even make you think, at least if you look at the world anywhere near the way I do. Back to your calls, 1-800-849-2761. I'll give you the Baseball Hall of Fame update. It may surprise you where Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, remember, clear-cut body of work worthy of the Hall of Fame. It's the PED asterisk that has kept them out all of these years. And they're getting late in the 10-year window where you can go in through the writer's vote. There are other avenues later, but you need 75%, remember, in that announcement that comes this coming Tuesday. Derek Jeter, Yankees shortstop, will be in. It'll, it'll become official this Tuesday. Is it 100% of the vote? I don't know, but he'll have way more than 75. Jeter is in as a member of the class of 2020. Larry Walker is an outfielder that I watched growing up who may or may not get in. He's kind of right on the edge, according to these ballots that are starting to become public. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens have never come close to the 75% threshold. You may be surprised as to where they are on ballots that have been leaked or become public, or sometimes the writer just makes it transparently public. You might be surprised. Let's just say it's a lot closer so far than it has ever been. As some are saying, why aren't they in? Lots of guys have cheated. And others are saying, well, wait a minute. At least punish them by making them wait. And still others are saying, man, they cheated. They're never getting in. 1-800-849-2761. Let me go to Jim in Durham. You're next on the David Glenn Show. Another piece of history. Most coaches get fired or resign or retire. Rarely at the Power 5 level are they lured to another job. Uh, I think your story is from before my time. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, Dave. Yes, uh, Bill Foster was at Duke, and he was at the Heights. That's when Duke, when Jeminski and all them were playing. Yeah. And, and um, the, the word was that Duke wouldn't pay the parking lot he, he, he parked in. That started the problem. And then it, they wouldn't let his daughter in um, Duke. And so he left, I think, for South Carolina, if I remember correctly. And you're right. He went to the South Carolina Gamecocks. C can you imagine the bar bets that you would win 
right today in 2020 with Coach K having turned that program into the juggernaut that it is and the five-time national champion. Would you believe that in many of our lifetimes there was a guy who voluntarily left as Duke's head basketball coach for the South Carolina Gamecocks? I mean, that's just hard to comprehend all these years later. I was not around to cover that, but I will, so I don't know about the parking lot or the daughter's admission, but I will tell you I know with absolute certainty that little stuff sometimes grows and becomes big stuff in the eyes of coaches. And if they feel disrespected or slighted by a fan base, what do you mean they don't respect me? Do they know how hard it is to win at this level, at this school, et cetera? Or if, you know, mom or the kids are getting harassed at school, or if they, the athletic director who hired him leaves and they don't like the new athletic director, or the president of the university changes and they don't like that person, or other competitors are raising their recruiting budgets or their assistant coaching budgets, and their AD says, no, nah, we can't do that here, even though they've won. That, all sorts of things build resentment, and it could be something as little as what Jim just described there. It could be something much bigger than that. It's one of the reasons Justin Fuente listened to Baylor. It's Buzz Williams was a different story leaving Virginia Tech last year. He has ties personally in Texas. Texas A&M backed up the Brinks truck and offered him a lot more than what he was making at Virginia Tech. So personal reasons, financial reasons, a lot of folks would argue Virginia Tech is a tough place to win in basketball. Nobody, nobody has ever won consistently at a high level at Virginia Tech. Buzz Williams actually became the closest. So tough place to win, less money, no personal ties, and he jumps to Texas A&M. Easy to understand, right? Justin Fuente listened to Baylor in part because he does have ties in Big 12 country, but in part because he felt underappreciated by Virginia Tech's football fans. Because it's not money. Baylor play, pays $4 million to Matt Rule before he took the Panthers job. Virginia Tech pays Justin Fuente, $4 million. So it's not like the Buzz Williams situation in that day, in, in that way. Uh, similar budgets for football. I looked them up. Baylor invests in football at roughly the same level as Virginia Tech. So he stays at Blacksburg in part because the pluses still outweigh the minuses. But he listened to Baylor and flew to take that interview in part because he has felt underappreciated by Hokie Nation. 1-800-849-2761. In the end... Which has a better game day atmosphere? It's not close. Virginia Tech over Baylor. Which has a better history? It's not close in football. Virginia Tech over Baylor. I know Baylor's been good lately, and Virginia Tech has not been as good the last couple of years, but Frank Beamer took him to the national championship game. You know, the Hokies won the ACC title within the last decade, right? You know, Baylor keeps falling short to teams like Oklahoma and Texas, which have much greater resources and much greater traditions. So I think Justin Fuente stayed in the better job. But you take that interview and you take that phone call and you listen closely and you bring your wife with you because you didn't feel like you were fully appreciated by Hokie Nation over the last four years. 1-800-849-2761. Brian is in Goldsboro and has Luke Keekley on his mind. That was the big topic yesterday, of course. Not as much today, but let's let Brian get this off his chest. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Yeah, I was just uh, saying that, uh, you know, the, the, the talk about Luke Keekley being a Hall of Famer, I think uh, that that that's, that even that should even be in the conversation, actually. Luke Keekley, he's a good player, but just didn't have enough time. Would, would you feel that way at every position? 
Sorry? Would you feel that way about every position? Or, or do you, is there something about linebacker where you need more longevity? Because Jim Brown is considered, the by some, the greatest football player at any position in the history of the NFL. And he played only nine seasons and famously retired at a relatively young age. So if you have some kind of got to play for a decade, uh, that would exclude arguably the greatest player of all time. Well, that would be the only one as well. But Jim Brown had, look look at the yardage that he had. I mean, that record stood for how many years? Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so I mean, the thing about it is, like I said, man, uh, I, I, think, I think it should be changed to at least, uh, you should at least have 10 years uh, in the league before you even uh, uh, can come up for a Hall of Fame vote. But even but, but, even if that left Jim Brown out? I'm sorry? Even if that, you just proposed a rule, you need 10 years, that would have left Jim Brown out of the Hall of Fame. Well, no, no. What, what I'm saying, I'm talking about this modern-day football. Jim okay. Brown, but like but why would Jim Brown get the benefit of that doubt for playing in a different era? E- either you think you need to play 10 years or you shouldn't need to play 10 years. Why, why would you apply a different rule to Luke Keekley than to Jim Brown? No, that's not the only thing. Luke Keekley's stats are not there for a Hall of Famer. Do you know so, what member of the Carolina Panthers has been to the most Pro Bowls and been selected to the most All-Pro teams? It's not a guy who played 20 years. It's not a guy who played 15 years. It's a guy who played eight years. It's Luke Keekley, seven All-Pro teams and seven Pro Bowls. So he did about as much. And the one year he didn't make it, he was the NFL Defensive Player Rookie of the Year. So there, that's eight years of brilliance in eight years of a career. So I don't know it. The Jim Brown example hovers over this. I know he's already in, but I, I can't buy the you got to play 10 years just to be eligible when the greatest player of all time, due to his unique circumstances a long, long time ago, chose to retire early and had nine brilliant years. And, you know, just like Jerry Rice is the greatest wide receiver of all time, and maybe there's not as much consensus at some other positions, Jim Brown is regarded as the greatest running back of all time. That's why I asked the question, do you mean that just about linebackers? There does come a point where you need to play enough years. Like, would three years of brilliance be enough? Probably not. Would five years of brilliance be enough? Probably not. Uh, When you get to the Hall of Fame conversation, the best of the best of the best. Eight years, he is the most accomplished player in Carolina Panthers history, period. I know others love Cam or Steve Smith or somebody else. When you play eight years, an all-pro is not just a popularity contest, right? Pro Bowl can be a little bit more of a popularity contest. All-pro, and even some of these players voting on players' lists, always salute Luke Keekley. Seven straight all-pro teams, seven... Five of the seven first team, the other two second team. That means you were one of the best linebackers in the league seven years running. And again, the only year you you missed that, you were the NFL's defensive rookie of the year. You can't do a lot more in eight years at linebacker than what Luke Keekley just did. They never won a Super Bowl, and team success often is a part of these Hall of Fame conversations. I get it. But... He was on a lot of winning teams. He was a special player on the 2015 that went to the 2015 team that went to the Super Bowl but lost. He, again, Steve Smith, you could make an argument as the greatest Panther ever. Luke Keekley is the other best alternative in my eyes. And by those national standards, how many All-Pro teams, how many Pro Bowls, Luke has the most by a significant margin over, over Julius Peppers and Cam Newton and Steve Smith and all the rest. 
So, I mean, it's okay if you think that no longtime Panther belongs in the Hall of Fame. I'm just a little squeamish about putting an exact number. Shouldn't the voters be allowed to take into consideration, all right, this guy only played six years, this guy only played eight years, this guy only played whatever, rather than just there being a hard and fast rule at 10 years that would have left you know, one of the goats, Jim Brown, out of the Hall of Fame as well. More of your calls on the other side. NC State had a great night in college basketball last night. Major League Baseball is back in the headlines because the Hall of Fame ballots are coming in, and whereas Major League Baseball and the folks in Cooperstown do not make those ballots public, they want everything to be a surprise next Tuesday, Derek Jeter will be in the legendary Yankees shortstop. You may be intrigued to find out what the current count. There's a guy named Ryan Thibodeau who has made an annual effort to collect as many public ballots as he can prior to the unveiling of the official balloting this coming Tuesday. Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, numbers through the roof, but PED asterisk and stain, have never come close to the 75% writer's vote threshold that you need to get in. And unveiling one by one, sometimes on social media, sometimes anonymously, there have been more than 150 ballots collected out of the estimated 400 plus that will end up mattering next Tuesday. What do the 150 plus collected say about how close to the 75% threshold the controversial candidates Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are right now? That answer with more of your calls next on The David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances, and I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Quick baseball breaking news. More of your calls. James is in Windsor, has the NFL on his mind. Rusty is in Goldsboro, also football. We have NC State and other college basketball on our mind. Connor McGregor, Zion Williamson, and other NBA. Are you in favor of a total reboot even without Cam Newton? We'll ask Joe Person that question later. Everything else seems to be new almost. Christian McCaffrey, of course, will be part of the building process under Matt Rule. The baseball update is this, and then we come to your calls. Hall of Fame update shortly. Breaking news now. Carlos Beltran was the only player named in Major League Baseball's investigation of the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. He is out as manager of the New York Mets even before beginning his first season with that team. Now, keep in mind, that is three managers now. A.J. Hinch led the Astros to the 2017 World Series. He was in charge when all the illegal sign stealing was happening. He's fired by the Houston Astros. Alex Cora led the Boston Red Sox to the 2018 World Series championship. He was part of Houston staff before taking over in Boston. He was fired by the Boston Red Sox just yesterday. Narco now Carlos Beltran of the Mets, three axes have fallen on managers. Remember, the Astros GM was also sent packing by the Astros owner after the Major League Baseball decision makers chose the one-year suspension option. Jim Crane, owner of the Astros, just turned that into a dismissal entirely. As we come back to your calls, here's what I promised on Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. You all have heard at both ends of the spectrum 
as this coming Tuesday will be the official announcement on the 2020 Baseball Hall of Fame class. You all have heard at one end, hey, Bonds and Clemens probably cheated, but lots of others who cheated are already in the Hall of Fame. Some others are racists and bigots and horrible people, and they're already in the Hall of Fame. You know, this isn't a character test. This is about how great they were. And Bonds and Clemens were already great even before they started using whatever they were using, and they didn't even fail a drug test. So how are we certain about what they used or didn't use and when they did? You all have heard that, and it's just basically get over it, put them in, because they're numbers are not only good by Hall of Fame standards, they're through the roof. It's a no-doubter. Barry Bonds, one of the greatest players of all time. Roger Clemens, one of the great right-handers of all times as well. The threshold you need is 75%. Here's what we know, thanks to a guy named Ryan Thibodeau, who collects actual voters' ballots. Some of them send them to him anonymously. Some of them post them publicly on social media or otherwise. There are 400-plus ballots that matter. And at this point, again, the official balloting will re be released this coming Tuesday. At this point, Ryan Thibodeau has collected more than 150 ballots. So more than a third of those that are actually cast. And when you play the numbers game, it's kind of like an election night they don't wait until 100% of the voting precincts are in. They have a formula, and at one point, they have enough confidence because whatever, 70-some percent of the precincts are in, and we know this about the remaining 20-some percent, so we're going to call the election for so-and-so, right? You don't wait for 100%. So Ryan Thibodeau has been able to kind of beat the Baseball Hall of Fame to the punch frequently over the years. Here's what we know at the top end. Legendary Yankee shortstop Derek Jeter will be in. Of the 153 ballots he collected, Derek Jeter was on all 153. What's cute and interesting, at least to baseball geeks like me there, there's only one baseball player who has ever gotten in on a unanimous ballot. Like even pick your favorite, Babe Ruth. Nobody else got in except Mariano Rivera, the relatively recent Yankees closer, was on every ballot on his first time of eligibility. So he's the one. That's it. There's only one. So the only doubt around Derek Jeter, obviously, is not will he get in this coming Tuesday. It's will he be, will he join his friend and former teammate, Mariano Rivera, and become the second ever unanimous on his first ballot guy. So I guess that's a form of drama, but Jeets knows he's in. Somebody's going to get a nice morning after basket, given that good news. Larry Walker, former outfielder for the Astro, or the Expos, rather, the Rockies, the Cardinals, According to this Ryan Thibodeau research, actual voters and their public ballots, Larry Walker's right on the edge. Like, it's a guessing game. Tune in next Tuesday. He might barely make it. He might barely miss the 75% threshold. So there's some drama for you. Jeter is in through the writer's vote. Catcher Ted Simmons and attorney Marvin Miller are actually in through a different type of balloting, a committee versus the writers. No need to get into those details. But then there's Bonds and Clemens hovering. As no doubt about it, numbers Hall of Famers, but stain of PED use has kept them way below the 75% threshold in all of these many years that they have been eligible. So clearly enough people don't care about the sheer numbers and care enough about the PED stain that they're keeping them out for exactly that reason. In the 150-plus ballots collected so far, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are both right at, for the first time, 75%. One's barely above 75, one's barely below 75. 
but with more than a third of the ballots collected, they're at the threshold. They're knocking on the door. Again, neither has come close. If you get 50%, that's not close to 75. You get 60, that is not close the way year-by-year trends tend to work. Ryan Thibodeau, the same guy who's done this research every year, is quick to add this. For whatever reason, maybe you don't want the pushback from Bonds and Clemens fans if you make your ballot public and you don't have them in, right? For whatever reason, when the full ballots come in, Bonds and Clemens, year after year, their percentages go down. In other words, public ballots favor them way more than those who choose to keep their ballots private. So even though Ryan Thibodeau is showcasing this 75% threshold, oh, will it be a nail-biter? Have enough people changed their minds? Some writers have said, I just want to punish Bonds and Clemens. I want to punish them for their 10 years of writer eligibility. I know they're going to get in. I just want to punish them by making them wait. Other writers have said, I will die before I will ever cast a vote for those cheaters. So put on... Put however much weight on this evidence as you'd like. Yes, they're at 75% of the public ballots, but history says fewer, a smaller percentage of the private ballots tend to go their way, which means, once again, we're well into a, almost a decade now of voting on Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. They are expected to be left out again, but it is a much closer call than it has been in any other year. 1-800-849-2761. Dan Bonner on college, foot, college basketball live in 10 minutes. More of your calls next. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Dan Bonner on college basketball in five minutes. Joe Person on the NFL in 30 minutes. Rusty in Goldsboro is next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hi, David. How you doing? Doing great, man. What's on your mind? Oh, just had a few thoughts about the Carolina Panthers and what they should do. I got about three options. I'm going to just throw them out to you. What, what I think that Carolina ought to do with the team and stuff, with everything, you know, David Tepper is kind of going to pull some stuff out of his hat for Mark Saber. I see it coming. I don't know what it's going to be. But what I think they ought to do, everybody's like, well, if we pick up a quarterback. I like Teddy Bridgewater as a free agent. All right. But if we don't go that route, if we don't go that route, we go without Cam. We could, we could probably trade for number one pick. I know you're thinking, well, that's crazy. But it's I hard. It happen. It's hard. Or, you got to give up a lot, but go ahead. Yeah, that's true. Or we could just play who we got this year. Maybe pick up a left tackle, do something in that general fan point, and then try to trade up for round one in 21 and maybe get Lawrence. So, more, more on the NFL with Joe Person later. Dan Bonner on college basketball next. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show.